Crystal Ball, Williams Nuaneri coming to Oklahoma, maybe? We'll talk about that on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Thank you for tuning in. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. And again, we're here every Monday night, 9 p.m. Central Time, here on YouTube, Locked On Sooners Live. And Josh, the biggest news, it broke late, late Sunday night as I'm finishing up editing the YouTube side of things and getting ready to publish it. I'm seeing the crystal ball come through. From Parker Thune, our man over at OU Insider and 247 Sports, also at 94.7 The Ref in Norman. He drops the crystal ball for Williams Dwinnery, the guy that we've kind of been talking about for, for months. Everybody's been talking about it. He's Him, David Stone are the two kind of key figures in the 2024 recruiting cycle on the defensive side of the ball that everybody's watching. So far, so good on that front. You know, and I think I said – I think I said in the past, John, that for Oklahoma, you know, if you don't get a Williams Winery, if you don't get a David Stone, things uh, things will work themselves out. You'll find other players. I'm going to totally pivot. I'm going to totally pivot. It's totally wrong. It's inaccurate to lead Oklahoma fans down that path. You're you're jumping into the SEC, right? Winery is somebody that basically you're recruiting now against an SEC foe for in Missouri. So it's a must that you win these recruiting battles. So when that news drops that you got a crystal ball from Parker Thune, that's gigantic news because simply put after the miss of a a Hicks in the last class, and I understand you're not going to win every recruiting war, right? Especially when it comes to five-star defensive tackles and edge rushers that everybody wants, you're not going to win all of them. But given the fact that you lost one last cycle, these need to be wins for Oklahoma. It became so much more important to land a David Stone or Williams Nuaneri. And so far, like I said, so far, so good. You mentioned going up against Missouri, the in-state team, the, the, the hometown team that uh, everybody seems to think that he's very high on, on the Missouri Tigers and Eli Drink, Drinkwitz and what they got building there. Also, Tennessee is very much in the mix. Oregon, the SEC of team of the West is very much in the mix in this one too. So you're going up against some heavy hitters on the recruiting trail, but this is where you need to see Todd Bates, Miguel Chavis, Brent Venables really start to put it all together. You know, you landed some really good players in the 2023 class. Nobody is discounting Derek LeBlanc, Adipojo Adabare, you know, your three-star guys and Taylor Wayne and Ashton Sanders and Marcus Strong. Nobody's discounting those guys. But when you get a chance to land a top 10 player in a recruiting cycle and you're kind of in the lead for that, if you know, we we take the crystal ball for what it means, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to finish this one. You know, the the way the David Hicks thing went is it kind of left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. We can't go two cycles in a row with that. This is these got to be wins for Oklahoma. If you can get both, my goodness, now you're cooking with gas and you're going into the SEC. 
with two premier, not just blue chip players, but premier players along the defensive line in addition to what you brought in in 2023. I mean, Gerald McCoy, he's out there. You know, he's actively recruiting David Stone to make sure that this thing gets done like this. And I, and I think it's really fun to see the former players kind of getting bought in on, on the recruiting trail and, and taking ownership themselves in it. I don't know if it's a, a coordinated plan or a, of attack that's coming down from on high from Brent Venables, you know, having these guys reach out and tag them on Twitter or whatever, but man, you know, Gerald McCoy reaching out to a guy like David stone, that definitely carries a lot of weight. It carries a ton of water. Like arguably one of the best defensive tackles that Oklahoma's had in the last 30 years. I mean, Tommy Harris can definitely have a say in that one, but you know, it, it maybe 40 years, like you could talk Tony Casillas in the 1980s. I, you know, we're not going to argue that Gerald McCoy is up there with the Selman brothers, but I mean, anybody else, like there's a legit argument to be made that Gerald McCoy is just kind of right there uh, behind the Selmans as far as like impact players. And then arguably, I, I mean, has had one of the better or had one of the better NFL careers of any Oklahoma sooner over the last two decades, not named Trent Williams and Lane Johnson. So like that carries a ton of weight. So Williams, Winnery getting the crystal ball to the Oklahoma Sooners. That's huge, man. And it just kind of sets the tone from what was a really, really nice recruiting weekend where he started to see some projections come through for the Sooners. Uh, you know, we talked about it on our show last night where it was Xavier Robinson, the three-star running back um, out of Midwest city. You also got a crystal ball from Parker, on Malik Hawkins, the younger brother of Michael Hawkins, 2025 cornerback. So like things are just trending in the right direction, but it is critical, absolutely critical for the Sooners to land one or both. I mean, you got to come away with either Williams, Nguyenary or David Stone. You got to get one of them at least have to, but man, there's a great chance that they could land both. And I think it's a situation I think it's a situation, John, to where if you get one, it can make it more attractive to the other. I don't think it turns into a situation to where they, you know, you, you land a one area and Stone says, okay, well, I'm going to go to Michigan State or look another direction because this great defensive lineman came to Oklahoma. I would think, I would think great players want to be around other great players. I just speak from the experience of what I covered this year. And I, I, We'll tread lightly here because, generally speaking, I try not to draw a lot of parallels between the University of Iowa and the University of Oklahoma. But one of the reasons that Caden Proctor chose Alabama over Iowa, and this upset some people in the Hawkeye State when he said it, he wanted to be around great players. He wanted every day in practice to get pushed by great players, John, to get challenged every single day, uh, every week, whether it was in SEC play, but really on Alabama's campus in Tuscaloosa. So I look at Stone. I look at Winery, some of these other targets that Oklahoma has in this class. We're hoping it could be just a, a massive haul for Oklahoma where you're talking about Zadavian Sims and Nigel Smith and come on down everybody, right, to where I got to go battle for a spot. If I'm this four- or five-star kid, okay, I'm going to go win the gig because I'm that good. That's a fantastic point. And it's the, the thing that Texas A&M has kind of been able to sell, right? You're, you're coming to play alongside other four and five star players along the defensive line. 
Oklahoma can also sell, you're going to go up against some of the best offensive line competition you'll find across the country. Bill Biedenboe, I mean, it's not a direct correlation, but it's also, you're mentioning the, the testing aspect. These defensive linemen are going to get to go up against a Bill Biedenboe offensive line every single day in practice to get them ready. And then they'll get to go into the SEC and play against some of the best offensive linemen in the country in that conference. And so there is a bit of a correlate correlation there that matters. You know, you want to be able to put on tape good competitive reps against good competition. I mean, you know, Will Anderson, like whatever offensive tackles went up against Will Anderson this year, if you got any kind of win against Will Anderson, you're highlighting that when you go and you talk with, uh, you know, NFL front offices and you have those meetings. Anton Harrison, you know, every snap that he took against Felix Anadike Uzoma at Kansas State or, you know, Tyree Wilson at Texas Tech, two guys that are going to be top 50, you know, edge rushers, like that matters. And so the, the defensive line guys, I mean, they're going to get that. They're going to test it every single day in practice and then go into the SEC and get tested every single snap, every single game where they're going to have really good game tape to, to put in front of NFL scouts and GMs and say, hey, look, come draft me. Come take me and let me be a part of your program. And I know high school kids, that's probably like far, thinking way too far out for them, but it is part of the process. It's part of the thought process. You know, Anton Harrison talked about, you know, when he, he wanted to go play with Bill Biedenboe because he knew that Bill Biedenboe was going to push him and make him a better player. And now he's on the verge of being a first-round NFL draft pick. So that stuff does matter. And Todd Bates, Brent Venables, they've got the track record that says, hey, listen, we can make you an NFL player. We Let me show you all these guys, this litany of dudes over the last 20 years that we've put into the league. Some have had great success. Some have had you know marginal success. Some not very much success at all, but they got there. And it matters to get there because not everybody gets to get there. So I, I really like where Oklahoma is trending right now. Obviously, like it, nothing is over until it's over. Nothing's finished. But to come out of a big recruiting weekend where you just hosted Nguyenary, you had them on campus, and everything is pointing right now towards Oklahoma, you got to feel good. Again, you got to finish. You got to finish. You got to take it all the way, get the signature, all that. But I don't think that they'll be sleeping on this recruitment any like at any point over the next six, seven, eight, nine months. You know, this is uh, I, we got to maybe jump to a different topic here in a moment, but it almost makes me wish. And I know that look, it's not a long drive from Kansas city to Oklahoma, but I almost wish that K state game was on the schedule for OU this year, just because that would be an easy trip for Winery to make and that's just one more chance whether it's you know an unofficial with Oklahoma I guess if it wasn't an official though he wouldn't really be able to talk to the coaching staff uh, on the field or whatever but you could kind of have I, I think maybe some sort of contact or at least it's like oh, okay there's Oklahoma they're right there come up and see them in person I wish that game was on the schedule for that re- recruitment but it's not so which game do you want Winery in these big recruits to come to what do you think? Which home game is it? Because eh, <laughs> eh, the home schedule. 
And we'll talk about that after I talk to y'all about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Easy to eat, 100% covered in chocolate. It tastes great and it's great for you. Low calorie, low sugar, low carb, high in protein. It's a fantastic snack. If you're wanting a sweet treat, but you just don't want to have all the sugar, go to Built Bar, go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and you can get 15% off your next order at Built.com. You can also pick them up at Sam's, Walmart. They're getting in the store, so you should be able to find them wherever you're at. My favorite some peanut butter brownie, mint brownie, coconut brownie chunk, coconut almond. They're just fantastic flavors across the board. And they're always coming out with new flavors as well. Great products over there at built.com. Check it out again, built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order over at built.com. So which which home game would I like Williams and Winnery to be at? Um, I mean, I'm going to have to look at the schedule real quick because off the top of my head, I'm blanking. But I mean, I, I'd like to have them at Texas. Because I really do think, I mean, that's not a home game, but I really think that's going to be a very, very different atmosphere for the Oklahoma Sooners in that game. And they're going to have a much, much better performance against their Longhorn rival. And so, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I want to, I'm looking forward to seeing the bounce back. I'm looking forward to seeing the come up uh, for the Oklahoma Sooners against Texas. And to be able to show like everybody in the world that that was an aberration, whatever you saw in 2023, or sorry, in 2022, just go ahead and just blip that from your mind, snap that out of existence, because it don't matter. It's not who Oklahoma football is. If I'm picking a home game, do you like TCU to close the season? Now, that would be late in the cycle. You'd like your work maybe to have been done a little bit sooner, but West Virginia, eh, I don't think so. UCF, eh, I don't think so. Iowa State, I don't think so. So to me, it's like out of the home slate, probably TCU is the best date for all of these guys. But then you put a couple of things at stake in that regard, right? Has the season gone well? And hopefully, hopefully it will have gone well. And if that's the case, then it's, you know, all of your chips into the center of the table should work out nicely for you. And oh, by the way, it's really, really close to that early signing day. It's basically a month out right but if things haven't gone according to plan and you're not going to the big 12 championship game then then maybe one of those earlier dates would have been better but i'm under the impression that this is going to be a much improved oklahoma team so hopefully that portion of the conversation is is moot yeah i mean i like i like the idea of having them for iowa state i know that's kind of an under the radar team but it's a team that you got a like nearly 100 years of history with and it's a team that has given you fits at times over the last five, six years. Now, Brent Venables in Oklahoma, they handled him pretty cleanly last year. Not really many issues, but it's a, it's a tough football team, you know? And I think because of what Brent Venables wants his football team to be about being tough, being physical, like that's a really good challenge against Matt Campbell's Iowa state team. You know, the offense wasn't good for Iowa state. The Cyclones were not good offensively, but that defense was tough. That defense was physical. They were fast. They played really, really tough. It just, they didn't have enough talent to maintain that for 60 minutes. So I think that's a kind of a, a sleeper game. You know what I mean? And then maybe SMU like that game, as far as a non-conference game goes, it may not carry the same weight that a Georgia game would have, but, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a high profile group of five team. 
because it's got a, a, you know, some history of success in college football, albeit 40 years ago, almost, but it, it's a team that kind of registers at least. And being from, you know, the Dallas area thing, like if you're a Dallas kid, you're, and you come to OU and you see OU stomp SMU. I don't know. Maybe that's, there's something interesting about that. I don't know. Just kind of intriguing. There's not a lot of great home games and, uh, but yeah, I think the Iowa state one could be fun. I think, I think they're going to roll TCU. I'm sorry. I, I know, you know, a lot of people are wanting TCU to be kind of the, the big, bad horn frogs again in 2023, but I just don't see it. I really don't. I, I think they lost a lot of what was their heart and soul from that team last year and dug in and, and Kendra Miller and Quentin Johnston, like it's going to be hard to replace what they had offensively. And Chandler Morris is a good quarterback, but does he have the the heart that Max Duggan plays with? And I'm not calling him soft. I'm not calling him weak. I'm not calling him anything like that, but there was just something different about Duggan this year that was even different from Duggan in years past, but it was just like everything kind of came to fruition for Duggan this year. And it was, I don't know. It was just kind of the, the Rudy moment almost where, you know, the, the underdog just kind of rose and, and kept climbing and kept climbing. I don't know if Chandler Morris has that dog in him, so to speak, to be able to kind of carry the team like Duggan did. Well, people were high on Duggan, but obviously, like you said, it was just a magical year. I don't think uh, anybody except for, the most ardent of TCU fans. I mean, nobody thought, I don't even think TCU fans thought they, they nobody thought they were going to a national championship game. Uh, you know, maybe the most optimistic of optimistic would say, we're going to the Big 12 championship game and Duggan's going to be the best quarterback in the Big 12. But even that would be a pretty pronounced minority. So it, it kind of came out of left field and I'm not totally going to put it out of the realm of possibility that, that could happen for Chandler Morris, but I feel similarly. Actually, I feel, I think to your point, John, less confident in that happening with Chandler Morris than probably we did even this time a year ago with Duggan, just because we we had seen more production from Duggan. But the idea that he was going to go out there and do what he did last season, no. I mean, nobody saw that coming. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Uh, I'll have a question for you on the other side that I want to ask like, how do you feel about Oklahoma's recruiting after this kind of first big recruiting weekend that they had this, you know, in, in this past weekend? But first, let's talk to y'all about FanDuel. Speaking of how do you feel, how do you feel about a no sweat first bet up to $1,000? That's right. Past the midway point, coming down that home stretch here pretty soon of the NBA season. And here and now, it's the perfect time to download FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book, where, again, new customers, no sweat first bet, up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, you just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe. It's secure. It's super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores, threes drained, you name it, plus FanDuel even let you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss your chance to get your no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com backslash locked on. That's FanDuel.com backslash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So tough to say how you feel about this recruiting class right now because – there is 
no recruiting class right now for Oklahoma. Unless you're referring to the 23 signees that just arrived. But 24, it's a lot of, hey, uh, junior day, how did it go? But And a crystal ball, that's exciting. But in the way of you know substance, we're still waiting, right? Yeah, but how do you feel just kind of about the trajectory at this point? Do you still feel confident that you know, by summertime, we'll have a handful of recruits, like by the end of the semester, I'm talking May, like there's a handful of commitments at this point. And then we're looking at another summer where Oklahoma really kind of sets the tone for this recruiting class. I'll be honest with you, man, based on what we've seen to close the 22 cycle, right? Abbreviated month, what a month and change, right? That, uh, the, the staff got to, uh, finalize it. And then one signing class that we've seen in 23, I'm not worried about the recruiting front. Now there's bits and pieces of it that again, you know, I, I that's why I wanted to open tonight because I, I've, I've kind of after the Hicks thing said, ah, you know, they'll, they'll find a guy if they don't get a winner. That's what they've got to get accomplished. The Winaries, the David stones, of the world, they get that piece down, man. That's the missing link. Everything else Am I worried about where they're at in the class? Do I am I optimistic about how it's going to go? Just generally speaking, yeah, yeah. I, I look until I'm shown that this staff can't finalize a top ten class. I'm expecting them to finalize a top ten class. So really, John, it boils down to a couple of things for me. Number one, again, just touched on it, Winery Stone. That's the kind of guy you got to get right. They didn't get necessarily that guy. We'll see. PJ Adabare. Five-star edge rusher, okay. Uh, LeBlanc, really talented, at least on paper coming in. But they could use still Winery Stone, Hicks, those types of guys. So that that's number one on the recruiting front. But then beyond that, man, it's going to be now because they've signed the really good class in 23. They closed strong in 22. I think they're going to sign another heck of a class in 24. I don't care that they don't have a commit right now. I'm not panicked about it whatsoever. It will wind up being a top 10, top five class. So – the next question becomes, can you develop these classes and can you go win football games? Because right now you're coming off a six and seven season. So just the how you manage a season was poor in a lot of ways for Oklahoma. And they underachieved Oklahoma did with this regime. So, man, I'm so much less concerned with the are they going to get guys to Oklahoma portion and just the are they going to develop these guys once they're here and get the best out of them? So what do you think is a reasonable kind of jump in wins for Oklahoma? Where do you think they get to? I know we've talked about this in the past, but kind of, you know, a, a little bit of removed from the schedule release and having time to kind of sit and marinate on it from six and seven, where's Oklahoma heading? What's the floor for them? Do you, what's the ceiling for them? I think anything more than two losses in the regular season to me is a disappointing year. I, I really believe that. I mean, obviously, they got to make leaps and bounds improvement defensively. They were terrible in a number of different categories on that side of the football, key categories. So it starts there. But if they do that because of the production that you return at quarterback, skill position, okay, wide receiver, returning production is another big question mark there. The two tackles, that that is not returning tackles that you're bringing back those aren't returning tackles I guess would be the better grammatical way to say that John so there's questions right I get all of that Oklahoma is going to put up points defensively is where the bulk of the questions where this with this team lies they have to answer that but the schedule itself man 
It's the same as what we discussed last year going into the season. That's what is honestly, and, and it wound up being better than we thought going in. So I'll concede that portion of it. You know, speaking of Duggan, we didn't see Duggan coming last season the way out of left field, the way that he did. We didn't see that season coming for him. We didn't see necessarily, we kind of talked about it. I was high on Deuce Vaughn and K-State, but even they to win a big 12 championship exceeded our expectations. So I'll, I'll concede that, okay, we didn't see that part coming, John, but look, man, Arkansas State, SMU, Tulsa, win, win, win. You're undefeated coming out of the non-conference portion again, and you tell me, stop me when somebody scares you not named Texas, okay? Cincinnati, Iowa State, UCF, Kansas, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Brigham Young University, Texas Christian University. Who scares you on that schedule? If they lose more than two games, man, it's going to be disappointing. The thing that scares me more than the actual football teams is the environment in which they'll play those games. Red River is a coin flip. It doesn't matter who's good, who's not good. It's a coin flip regardless. Going to Cincinnati, that's a pretty decent home environment that the Bearcats have created over the last few years. Like you watch those games, and I mean, I watched the AC, the AAC championship last year. I, I can't remember who they exactly played, but or two years ago. Um, but man, they had a banging environment going there. Pretty, pretty crazy for you know a group of five team, uh, and then going to Provo to play BYU late in November. Like again, the environment scares me more than the actual team. Uh, but you know, going to Stillwater, like I'm, I'm not really scared of Oklahoma state, but go to Stillwater again, a raucous environment in which this team is going to have to show that they can win. Uh, you know, they, they had a hard time against Texas tech last year. They had a hard time in uh, Morgantown against West Virginia. So this team is going to have to go on the road and prove that they can win in tough environments. But I think that they can, I don't think that there's any reason why they can't go into those places and win. But again, those those things scare me. The, the environment, I guess, again, scare me more than the teams do. Now, I know we're going to get some Cincy fans, some BYU fans that come in here and they want to say that their teams are really, really good. Maybe they will be. But welcome to the Big 12. Welcome to the Power 5, where you're going to have to play the schedule every single week. And are you ready? Are you ready? We'll find out. No doubt. And... Cincinnati, look, uh, I mean, everybody around here understands and appreciates what Cincinnati has accomplished recently. Everybody around here knows and appreciates. Well, <laughs> maybe for both. I shouldn't say that everybody knows and appreciates. But people are aware, right? Cincinnati, first group of five into the college football playoff. UCF, uh, fake national, champion, national champions. So we, we are aware of the history with these respective programs. And I say that, uh, you know, jokingly, but we know that it was an undefeated season. There's been success recently, but before you come in here with your smack talk about Oklahoma went six and seven in the big 12, let's keep in mind, this is the first losing season Oklahoma has had since 1998 in uh, power conference football. So you can dance on Oklahoma's grave right now for the moment if you want to. Cincinnati, UCF, BYU fans, Houston fans, if you want to. But just be careful what uh, what you're, you know, which grave you're dancing on and what you're uh, out there dancing about because you haven't gone through the rigor of this type of conference before, and now you get to. So we've seen what you've done in the past. Welcome to the show, as they say when you make the major leagues, right? Come on down, rookie. Let's see how it plays out. 
What's the biggest spring storyline for you? Biggest spring storyline. You know, probably for me, and this is so broad that it's almost unfair to be this broad, but honestly, it, it really is. It's the the newcomers. You know, who impresses the most out of the newcomers? I think that's the, the big storyline. And again, that's very all-encompassing. I mean, that could be your Bowens of the world, right? All the way down to the transfer portal additions we've been talking so much about. Uh, if you ask me to drill more, you want a, a narrower focus, drill down, Josh, then I would probably say defensive line, what's happening there, edge guys, you know, the outside, uh, you've added a lot right there to the edge, guys. Who's who's leading, and does it seem like either either one of the, you know, couple of newcomers there all of a sudden is out in front? I'd say those are a couple of the things I'm most intrigued by. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'd go to, is especially along the defensive front, all the guys that they added. They, they've got to get great production out of their transfer portal additions this year. It can't just be solid, you know what I mean? They they got some solid production out of Jeffrey Johnson, Jonah Laula. Uh, who else? McCade Matire played really well. They've got to find like elite production, and they've got the guys. They brought in several guys that could put up elite numbers for them this year and have elite seasons for them. But they got to have it. I mean, they got to have somebody that comes in and has like a Jalen Hurts type impact. Not again, quarterback is going to be different than like a defensive player, but somebody who like maybe you. He was a good player where he was, solid player where he was, but he comes to Oklahoma and like becomes transcendent at, at the University of Oklahoma. Maybe it's Desan McCullough. Maybe it's Ronald Bothroyd, who goes from playing at Wake Forest to becoming a household name because he plays for the Sooners. Like somebody that has that kind of uh, jump in, in play, jump in production, jump in impact. I, I, that's what I'm looking for because – You've had good transfer portal additions over the last several years, but nobody that got to Oklahoma and then was like significantly better in Norman than where they were. I'm trying to think of one um, since, you know, the, the 2019 season when Jalen Hurts left, you had again, solid transfer additions. Maybe, you know, um, maybe Chris Murray, McCade Matire are kind of two of the more Eric Gray had that, but it took him a, a more, you know, a year, in Norman before he really had that breakout season. Um, Wanye. Wanye. Yeah. Wanye had that, but again, it was like Eric gray, you know, was in Norman for a year and then finally in his second year with the Sooners broke out. Um, but that, that's kind of where I'm, where I'm sitting. Should we turn the page? Should we talk about this weekend that was for the Oklahoma Sooners everywhere else that was just fantastic, Josh? Yes, let's do that. And put this on your radar for tomorrow. Everybody. I see Mr. Okilon guy. He says, is OU going to fire Ted Roof? I don't think so, but uh, the contract stuff there is, is pretty interesting. We need to spend a little bit more detailed time, I think, on that going forward the rest of this week. But, yes, a dominant weekend for Oklahoma. I mean, you could really turn to any of the sports. And, again, I, I mentioned it on the show yesterday just as we're late in the episode, but – Joe Casiglione must have been a really, really happy man. But let's start with the Big 12 champions because first Big 12 championship since 2009 for Jenny Baranchik and the Oklahoma Sooners women's basketball team. They beat Oklahoma State in Bedlam 80-71 to 71, You know, in a game where Maddie Williams, 
you know, she has to leave the game early. She doesn't have a big performance uh, before she exits, but everybody else steps up around her. You know, uh, Beth Coot, uh, Coot, I'm, I'm going to mess that one up. Um, has a fantastic performance, you know, inside Skylar van, of course, again, really, really good. Uh, just a, uh, again, this team is on the verge of having a host hosting opportunity in the first two rounds. They were a five seed in ESPN's latest bracketology, but just, just right there, just right there on the verge of getting that, that coveted, you know, top four seed in the region. Right there. Yeah, right there. I mean, obviously that means if a uh, good run, Big 12 tournament, and we'll see what happens, right? I mean, you know, obviously get to the championship round or win the thing, then you're, you're definitely, definitely going to do that. Hope Maddie Williams uh, gets good news. I, I, I hate that that happened in the process of going and earning a share of the Big 12 championship for Oklahoma. But, uh, man, what a credit to Jenny Bronchek and what they have, again, in such an abbreviated amount of time built. And I can't wait to see what happens when Coach D, Jenny Baranchek gets all of her recruits on campus. I mean, this is uh, – she's done this with Sherry Cole's uh, recruits, right, and, and put this thing together and went and shared a conference championship out of it. So it's just amazing what they've done. She's really, uh, I think, done a an absolute uh, terrific coaching job each of the past two seasons. And I just can't wait to see what the future is for, for her in this program. Sticking with the hardwood real quick. I think it's worth mentioning the way that the Oklahoma Sooners men's team finished the season. You know, they had that four game losing streak after they beat Bama at home four game losing streak where they lost by an average of 18 points per game. Just a, an absolutely ridiculous stretch where that had people wondering if Porter Moser was going to survive this, you know, uh, for another season with, you know, in Norman, but then Oklahoma goes three and three in their final six games. And, you know, here's who they beat. They beat the you know Kansas State Wildcats ranked opponent. Uh, then they lost to Texas, lost to Texas Tech. And then they beat Iowa State again, ranked opponent, lost to Kansas State, then beat TCU, a ranked opponent. This one by 14. Like it was a, a very, you know, just fascinating into the season for them. It gives me I'm I'm intrigued by the future of Oklahoma men's basketball. I'm not hopeful yet, but I am intrigued by especially by the play of Milo Suzan, who down the stretch really started taking on more, more ownership and a bigger role and and really becoming a facilitator and um, a bigger contributor to this team, not just kind of laying back and being the true freshman and like, no, I'm gonna start like asserting myself offensively on this team. And I think they needed that. And they're going to need him to take on an even bigger role moving forward to next season. But, and maybe even in the big 12 tournament, if he has a hot big 12 tournament, he's got the shooting stroke that could do that. But I'm very intrigued by where this team goes from here. Cause I do think Porter Moser did a heck of a job getting the team to kind of rally after that four game losing streak to finish the season on a solid note. I won't say it was a good note, but again, three and three down the stretch, three wins against ranked opponents, um, in a tough conference. So at least a few bright spots to think about, regardless of how the big 12 tournament goes, whether you make the NIT or not, there, there's a few bright spots to look at. Yeah. Uh, count me in the camp. That is just 
constantly irritated by this team over the course of this this season. I'm not going to be dishonest about it. I'm going to be I'm going to shoot straight from the hip and I'm going to stop being PC about it. This team makes me so mad, man. <laughs> the the fact that they can be so bad and then turn around and beat Kansas State and beat TCU and do it in the fashion that they've done it is just enraging. And what they did, the way they shot the ball versus Alabama, I mean, let's stop being nice about it. It's so frustrating, this group. But, hey, I, I'm, I look, I, I hear what you're saying. Yes, ride the wave, baby, and hopefully there's some positives going into next season. Obviously, the young player is going to be the most important part of that. But the story with this program right now, man, is the – you know, the meat and potatoes of the season stinks. It's rancid. And that's been the case for each of these first two years under Porter Moser to where all of a sudden, hey, here, kitty, 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 right at the end of the season, it's like all of a sudden you're winning a couple of games, you go play well in the Big 12 tournament. And I feel like we're right on the precipice of that again where everybody at the end of the Big 12 tournament says, ah, but they played hard though. You know, it's like, yeah, but they stunk. That they did. You know, that they did. It, it was it was a frustrating four game losing streak. Um, it was a frustrating, you know, loss to Texas, although you took him to overtime, you know, that Texas tech loss was even more frustrating when you, you were playing them so close. And then in the final few minutes, it just kind of all went to crap. Uh, especially when you lose to a coach like Mark Adams, who should never coach again. Um, and Kirby Hokut probably should not have a job anymore, but that's a, for locked on red Raiders, go check them out. If you want more Kirby Hokut talk um, again, intrigued, I'm intrigued by the future. I'm not hopeful yet. I'm not excited. I, I think there's possibility and the potential, but I, I think there's a lot more that has to, to play out. They need an athletic big, like I need water, like, at least, yeah, two or three of them for sure. But they need at least one athletic big. They don't have an athletic big. They haven't had an athletic big this year. They need one dude that can go up and get the ball. They can, you know, bang around on the inside with, you know, Oklahoma State. That's the game where it was most noticeable that Oklahoma would just was just not athletic enough on the inside. But if they can get an athletic big, which again, Finding an athletic big that can score from the inside, that's like finding a quarterback. It's becoming the unicorn in college basketball. It's really hard to find. Uh, so I'd be really that, – that's kind of the area where I – they've done a really good job finding swing guys, you know, two, three combo guards, point guards. It's that big man inside that's been the struggle over, over recent years. Um, what else on – anything else on basketball, Josh, before we kind of turn to the diamond? Yeah, just one one – piece of good news on basketball as you mentioned the Oklahoma State matchups have turned out horribly for Oklahoma this season and oh by the way that's who the uh Sooners get to open up the Big 12 tournament with so look forward Yay. to that hooray hooray that that should be a fun one hey but you know what maybe it's the the three the three win curse you know what I mean like it's hard to beat a team three times uh, maybe they can they can pull it off in this one uh Josh should we start baseball softball where do you want to head first uh, let's talk a little baseball, shall we? Man, the o Oklahoma Sooners, it, it's been, again, a, kind of an up and down start to the season for them, but they had a really nice weekend uh, down in Frisco. Um, they went two and one, uh, but picked up wins over Cal. Uh, also picked up a win over Mississippi State, 9-5, uh, 15-9 before falling to Ohio State. Uh, you know, it, I think that's that's the positive sign, the the 
move in the right direction that we wanted to see from this team after taking two or three from Ryder the previous weekend. Um, again, it's been an up and down start to the season, but it was last year too. This was a team that really didn't find their stride until midway through conference play. And then they really started to, to click on all cylinders. So yeah, I mean, it's, it might not have gotten off to a smooth start yet, but you're kind of replacing a lot of major league baseball talent. And this team is, is starting to figure things out a little bit. Again, a bummer of a loss to Ohio State, but you picked up two wins over you know pretty decent programs in Cal and Mississippi State. So you got that going for you. It was a huge weekend for Oklahoma baseball because, as you pointed out, it's you know not been this uh, you know firing out of the gate star for Oklahoma coming off of obviously the appearance in the uh, College World Series National Championship Series. You lost two out of three to Cal Baptist to start the season. That was a shocker the way that that unfolded for you. Lost a game to Abilene Christian uh, and then uh, did turn around. And obviously the you know next weekend you won that series versus Ryder. But honestly, anytime you don't sweep somebody like Ryder, people are going to say, well, wait a second. <laughs> what, what happened here? Just a little bit. I understand why the schedules are what they are in, in baseball especially, but softball, baseball. Yeah, you know, it almost feels like for me, this team needs to play in the Frisco College Baseball Classic every weekend instead of opening up versus Cal Baptist and playing Ryder and playing Abilene Christian. Seems like to me they want to play Cal, Mississippi State, and Ohio State to get the best out of this bunch. But, hey, it was a good weekend for them. They needed that stabilizing type of weekend, and they got it. I do think there's something to that. Like, we, you know, the name on the jersey that you're facing kind of matters a little bit, you know, are you going to be a little bit more geeked up to play Cal or Mississippi state or Ohio state power five programs, Mississippi state being one that has won the college world series in recent history. So this is, I mean, there's something to that. Like you're playing a team like Ryder. That's fine. It's it, you know, it's a good opportunity to see what your club's about, but maybe you're not going to be all that geeked up to play them. It, it's similar to, you know, the softball team, which we'll talk about here in a second, playing a team like UIC. Are they going to be like all like gung ho, energetic, geeked up to play UIC like they were to play UCLA the, the Sunday before? No, it's just, a, it's different. It's totally different. And, and it is what it is. Um, and so you got to, you got to just kind of take it in stride sometimes and you take the wins wins are wins. You don't apologize for wins, whether they look good, they look bad. You know, nobody's going to sit here talking about quality wins um, this early in the season. But if you don't really start turning the corner and really putting on good performances and, and playing up to the competition that you're facing, then those, you know, that opening game loss to Ryder, that could come back to hurt you down the road if you're not careful. So they'll make up for it as they get into big 12 play again, big 12, great baseball conference. So they'll have opportunities to establish themselves as a potential you know, NCAA tournament, you know, college world series contender as things go along, but they're off to a really, really good start so far this season. Uh, moving to softball, Josh, speaking of a really good weekend, the Oklahoma Sooners went four and in the OU tournament. Uh, they only allowed one run in this entire tournament, which was crazy against uh, number 17, Kentucky and UIC. This is a, a program that is firing on all cylinders. Even when, 
like we talked about on last night's show, when they're maybe not living up to our expectations at times, they're still playing really, really good softball. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, they've what won nine in a row and basically just totally dominated the OU tournament. I know that the first game versus UIC, maybe people would look at and say, okay, I wish, wish you had scored a couple more runs in that game, but man, I mean, you give up the the one run against a ranked Kentucky team that very well could finish as a top 16 team. I mean, their top 16 team coming in could finish as uh, one of those teams that's just in that next level down from the national seed line before it's all said and done. Now, obviously we got a long ways to go from right now to then, but from where I'm sitting, man, it's been a great two weeks in a row for Oklahoma softball. And it looks like to me, Michael Jordan meme. And I took that personally from the Baylor loss is just what I'm seeing from this team. Yeah. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was like 90 runs to five. Like they've outscored their opponents 90 to five since the Baylor loss. And they're, they're getting contributions up and down the lineup from players that probably you didn't expect to be significant contributors. Somebody like a Sophia Nugent, you know, someone who's played a lot of catcher for him because Kinsey Hansen was getting her season started a little bit later due to the appendectomy, but she's been awesome. Like she's been absolutely awesome. And now I feel like Patty Gasso has this problem where you've got so many good players. How do you get them all at bats? How do you get them all innings? Like how do, how do you work that out? And, now, thankfully, she's like one of the greatest coaches of any sport of all time. She'll get it figured out, but everybody's getting a lot of opportunities to contribute right now. Is there a player, Josh, that has really stood out to you that is having a great start to the season that maybe um, is a bit of a surprise? Okay, well, I don't know that this is a surprise per se, but the way that it's starting to turn in that Alex Taraco might wind up as this team's ace. No way did I see that coming. And, and I don't think, I think really by and large, Jordy ball had one half inning where she gave up a three run bomb. Right. And it's like, wait a second. Jordy ball doesn't give up hits a three run bomb. What is happening? We lost the game. This is ridiculous. But in the midst of all of that, Starocco has been John sensational and has in her own merits, irregardless of you know what happened with that Baylor game, she's earned the opportunity to potentially be the top arm in the circle for Oklahoma. So I definitely, man, if you had told me before this season, I knew the – we talked to her right here on this podcast. You can go back and, and watch the episode. Very established track record coming to the University of Oklahoma from Michigan. All sorts of strikeouts. Had been uh, obviously the, the lead arm there. I, I didn't see that happening this quickly – at OU, but it has, and you know, or seems like it has, and that's very impressive. I do think the one thing that we did mention about Starocco was the fact that she wasn't going to have to throw 200 innings for this team, which she had to do for Michigan. She was, by and large, their really their their only pitcher, their best pitcher, but definitely they didn't have a lot of options otherwise. And so she had to throw and she was great. And she threw, you know, 300 strikeouts. I think it was a sub two ERA. She was fantastic for the Wolverines, but now she comes over to Oklahoma where she gets to be part of a rotation. I mean, you don't see that in college softball 
often where you've got three legit starters, which Oklahoma does. And four, if you want to throw in Kirsten deal, like who's been really, really good in her own right, just not getting as many opportunities early because you don't have to throw her out there against Kentucky. You don't have to throw her out there against UCLA, but with Starocco ball, Nicole may, this rotation has been absolutely phenomenal. Even though ball, you know, her ERA might not look good right now. It's going to start to settle in and, and it'll be closer to one by the time this is all said and done, it's it's a really great problem for Oklahoma to have to be asking the question, okay, who's Oklahoma's ace? Yes, yes. But right now, it's Alex Tarocco. You got a big game coming up? You're going to throw Alex Tarocco out there. In the field, though, it, I feel like we, I mentioned Sophia Nugent, but I mean, to me, the, the most kind of surprising thing so far is Jada Coleman's power. I mean, she's already got five home runs this season. You know what her career high was coming into the year? Nine. Back in 2021, she hit eight last year. She's already up to five, and we're a month, little month and a half into the season. We've got like a couple more months left, several more months left in this year uh, before it's all said and done. Could she be Oklahoma's next 20 home run hitter? She's definitely on pace for that right now. And I mean, she's continuing to get on base at a incredible rate. It seems like every game she's either leading it off with a walk or a a hit. And that just does so much for you as an offense to know that you're going to get the person on base in the first inning. You're going to start putting pressure on these teams from the get go. But yeah, Jada Coleman's power has been really, really surprising. She ties, she's tied for the team lead in home runs right now, which is, I would not have bet that I would not have expected that. She's incredible an incredible talent that frankly has been overshadowed by Jocelyn Allo and TRA Jennings. And, and maybe she hasn't, you know, the, the Oklahoma fans are smart and Oklahoma softball fans are, have gotten smarter as this, you know, last decade has gone along and you've been so dominant throughout of it and you throughout it and you won five national championships. OU softball fans, no ball, right? They see talent. They know talent. You see Coleman, leaping over the fence, going nuts, jump man. I go, I, I go snag this home run ball and bringing it back. You see the speed, the power, the combination of it. But now it, it's a little bit more on display, right? Because there's not a home run chase taking place for Jocelyn Allo. And she, she is just a little bit more pronounced into that spotlight, which good for her, man. She is such a superstar. She has for multiple years, even with all this other talent around her, John, she's been my favorite player to watch because of the combination of offense and defense, the the ability to go make the highlight play in the outfield. I'm sure that if they wanted to, they could line her up. She'd probably be an amazing shortstop or wherever they wanted to put her. She's just that great of an athlete, but uh, man, she's fun to watch. You, You hit the nail on the head there. Just an incredible athlete. Speaking of incredible athletes, I think it's important that we mentioned, uh, OU Jim just continues to just, light it up on the scoreboard they were just dominant again this weekend picking up huge wins uh, on the men's side you know they picked up another big time win this time over michigan um i feel like you can't say enough about them sorry not michigan where was it yeah i thought it was michigan yeah they picked up a big win over michigan on, on saturday just the schedule is not updated um man it, it, them women's gym like mark campbell and kj kindler like how do they find all these incredible gymnasts i think it's like the nick saban kind of 
because Oklahoma's great for so long that they continue just to attract great. It's incredible, isn't it? The the combination of talent that Oklahoma has on its campus, men's and women's gymnastics, is unreal. The stretch of victories that Mark Williams and his program. Sorry, has- Mark Williams, not Mark Campbell. Sorry. Well, there is a Mark Campbell Invitational, which, uh, uh, you know, easy mix up. But Mark Williams, what he's done with that group to have not lost in McCaslin in 16 years is just absurd. I mean, it's nuts. You go back and we probably should, for his program, do this exercise of going back and saying, okay, look at all these top this and that opponents that they've welcomed in. Oklahoma has beaten them all. In 16 years. I mean, it's just insanity. It it was. And um, man, it again, just a phenomenal weekend all around for everybody in Oklahoma's athletic program. They are just having a really, really good spring year, spring season, whether it's baseball or gym or softball, bat, you know, basketball. Women's basketball has been fantastic. Men's basketball, I think, is on an upward trajectory. Just might take a little bit of time. Um, and then we're heading into spring, spring football. It's, there's a lot to really take in anything. What else kind of, maybe we should talk combine real quick because Hank over here, he mentioned Schmitty working with the ladies. I think it really stands out. There were so many guys that had really, really good combines, whether it was Anton Harrison or Marvin Mims or Eric gray, um, or Jalen Redmond. Does that speak to Jerry Schmidt? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely does to, you know, some degree. No question. No question it does. First off, on the combine, I'm just very pleased and happy and relieved to see that the Wanye Morris situation wound up just being a great two. Uh, Hammy, because that boy, somebody in that situation, the, the conversation that was drummed up about why the heck are offensive linemen running 40-yard dashes, though, you know, this this is kind of how – we separate right when there's just that little bit of non-difference between prospects in the second, third, fourth, fifth round, whatever it may be. It's okay. Well, we ran a little bit faster 40 or the broad jumps, just that little bit better. Look, there's three more reps in the bench press, right? I mean, this is what the NFL combine is, but that was a scary moment. And it's just fortunate that obviously uh, he's okay. And yes, Hank nailed it. I mean, the, the highlight for me was Mims in the four, three, eight. Wow. I mean, we knew he was fast, but boy, he, he really, I think made himself some cash, John. That impressed me, but also his broad and his vert, his vertical jump and his broad jump. Like the only, there was only like three guys that I think had that were under six feet that had better broad jumps than him. And maybe just one player under six feet that had a better vertical than he did. Um, The dude is just unreal, an unreal athlete that I think is going to have to get first round consideration after all that. He's got the production. He's shown it on tape drops, drops or drops. I'm I, one of my hot takes in football. I'm going to throw it out there and y'all, y'all are going to hate it because Twitter hates it too. Is that drops are overrated drops in the moment are very significant drops as a total 10,000 foot view stat overrated. Great players have drops. You can look at CD lamb. He had drops for the Dallas Cowboys. Is he not a good player because he dropped the ball? Of course he's a great player. He's a fantastic player, 
players have drops sometimes, but this team or the, the Marvin Mims, they have drops. Yeah. A lot of them high degree of difficulty catches deep balls are hard. They're, they're a lot harder to catch because you're, you're tracking the ball up over your shoulder. You're running it, you know, full speed. You're trying to deal with the defensive back on, on your back or on your heels at least. Yeah. Drops happen. It sucks. You don't like them in the moment. They suck. But I think in the big scheme of thing, the big picture of things, it's not going to be something that holds him back from getting drafted potentially in the first round. But it would be greater if he could avoid <laughs> some sure. of these, some of these said drops. I think, I think I agree with what you're saying. I think I agree with the pro, uh, the premise of drops do not totally tell the story though. There's some guys you got to admit drops are a problem oh, for, for sure players. And especially if you're a possession guy and you don't go make that CD land play or occasionally you don't do some of the things that Marvin Mims does. Okay. We got to have a conversation about the drops, but long story short, again, you know, I, the, the drops with Mims, I, I kind of hear what you're saying there that uh, if, if you're going to get hung up on three or four drops from the 2022 season with Marvin Mims, you're missing out on a chance to have a very, very good wide receiver that you can add to, uh, to your roster because, Look, uh, I saw my man go out there and drop a 4-3-8. I've seen the production at the University of Oklahoma. This is a bona fide John second, third-round wide receiver, and uh, he will be a very, very productive wide receiver for whichever team drafts him if uh, if he's used correctly, which is basically just throw him the football. That's how you use him correctly. Just give him targets. It would absolutely shock me at this point if he fell out of the top 50 because of the four, three, eight, he's got the production. He's got, I mean, whether it's high school, college, he, he's all he's done is produce. Even though he's only five eleven, only a buck 80, he just produces, but he's got the four, three, eight speed that teams covet. Every team wants that. Every team wants somebody that can take the top off of a defense, stretch the field, put pressure on the safeties, make it, make it a, a game where everybody's got a, you know, stretch backwards, you know, from the line of scrimmage that opens things up underneath that you got to account for. Everybody wants that. I, dude, get him on the Dallas Cowboys, please. If you could get him on the Dallas Cowboys and pair him with CD lamb and you give me a legit field stretcher and Marvin Mims, and I got CD lamb that can work everything from, you know, zero to 30 yards down the field, like golden, that team is going to be golden, but they don't have a field stretcher. There's not many in the NFL. There's not a lot of the guys that are legit field stretchers like Marvin Mims. I'm not going to put him in the Tyreek Hill category, but like Tyreek Hill, a guy that can just take the top off. He's a burner. He's going to win deep. That's all Marvin did, Mims did for three seasons at Oklahoma was win deep. And he kind of mentioned that in his uh, press conference at the combine. Like they didn't ask me to run a very technical route tree. Well, he, but he won in the way that they asked him to win. And and even in 50-50 situations, I mean, how many 50-50 balls did Marvin Mims catch this year that were just incredible catches, you know, down the sideline in the cover two situation? Like, it, like again, it would shock me if he fell out of the top 50 just based on his combine. Well, and his greatest play at the University of Oklahoma was a ridiculous – it wasn't necessarily – I mean, it was thrown to that pylon to where I don't even know if you would still term that as – a 50 50 ball, but it was, you know, down the field, sprawling, crazy wild catch. So look, you need, you need 
Marvin Mims tape. I've got one play from the Cotton Bowl to show you for Marvin Mims. And uh, you give my man some money, draft him, and all I heard from you, John, was, hey, Marvin Mims would look really good in Kansas City. That's that's all I heard from everything you just said. I mean, he really would. He would look great in Kansas City. Like, Patrick Mahomes would absolutely love having Marvin Mims on his team. I'm, I, There are going to be a lot of teams that want Marvin Mims on their team. And we might, you know, I mean, he had a fantastic year, 1,000-yard season. It wasn't good enough. I mean, we wanted it to be better, but the dude made himself some money. He's going to be a top 50 pick. It would not shock me one bit if somebody decided to take him with a late first-round pick. One of those teams like a Kansas City that has the cachet everywhere else, they have the talent everywhere else, but they need a legit wide receiver, a legit deep threat to pair with Travis Kelsey or the Cowboys, CeeDee Lamb, or name a team. Every team could use this guy that can get down the field and win. Because what's the what's the the name of the game in the NFL? Scoring points. What's the easiest way to score points? Win the deep ball. Big plays. Marvin Mims is a big play machine. Josh, anything else to say as we reach the one hour point here on Locked On Sooners Live? I think that we could probably dive deeper into the combine with Oklahoma Sooners going forward. I mean, look, spring football, there's a million different angles we could we could jump into there. Somebody was saying on the YouTube side that they think Ethan Downs needs to play inside for Oklahoma, which I don't see happening, but I think that's a fascinating, if for nothing else, hypothetical conversation that we can have because it's the offseason and this is the time for zanier-type conversations. And I saw 18 of you out there, which is a large number just on the YouTube comments section, liked it. So apparently there's some groundswell of support for this idea that Ethan Downs is not fast or athletic enough or getting into the backfield quick enough to hit quarterbacks. So, man, there's so much we can dive into. We've run out of time tonight. Appreciate all of you on the uh, the youtube side here we uh every monday night we have the live show and we love you guys getting to be a part of it but uh that's it we've reached the stopping point we'll hit we'll hit more tomorrow this is uh five days a week we're here for you yep so until tomorrow when we'll dig into more spring discussion talk more softball i'm sure we'll talk more recruiting so i'm sure over the next 24 hours we'll hear more on the recruiting trail after a great recruiting weekend for the Oklahoma Sooners. But until then subscribe to the show, wherever you get your podcasts We're free and available on all podcast platforms, follow Josh on Twitter at Josh on ref. Listen to him Monday through Friday from nine to noon on the ref 94, seven. Follow me on Twitter at John nine Williams. The show is at locked on Sooners, but until next time, thanks for sticking around boomer sooner. <laughs>